Hello, everyone. I'm uh, Claudio Murgan, the host of the Spiritual Inspired Podcast. And uh, my guest today is Art Geyser. Art is a neurolinguistic programming trainer, medical researcher, healer, intuitive, leadership and team specialist for major corporations. His experience comprises of 39 years of studying psychic development plus energetic and spiritual healing. He has been blessed to receive two empowerments directly from the Dalai Lama of Tibet, including one to increase his ability to heal others. Art's key focus is accelerating personal and spiritual growth and activating people's hidden miraculous abilities. Uh, Art, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited about being on your your podcast. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I watch some of your videos and uh, your techniques. Uh, but I'd like to, to start uh, by asking you, how did you step on this journey of spirituality? And then we'll go into the uh, NLP. That, that'd be great. Um, so... As long as I can remember, I was interested in two things. One was science. Like I was, you know, a little science nerd kid. And um, but I was also interested in the powers of the unconscious mind, ESP, spirituality. And somehow I knew all of that was real. And and there didn't seem to be um, a clash between science and all of that. And but then when I grew up and I I had a, a quote-unquote good job. I was managing a research lab uh, at the University of California, San Francisco Medical School, and we were looking at, at the effects of estrogen and progesterone on the tissues in a woman's body during pregnancy. People nowadays would call it epigenetic research, though I, I didn't actually know the term at the time. And, you know, I was proud of what we were doing. I worked with great people, and I, I knew I didn't belong there. And I'd always had this belief that something was going to just show up that was going to change my life. But as the years went on, I thought, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I figure out what, what to do with it? I probably would have been better off if I hated my job. It would have forced me to quit. So I was stuck for years. And, and I had been a very adventuresome young man. So my family, my friends and stuff were all really surprised that I was so stuck. And I went to a talk on intuition. And during the break, and this was, I don't know, 40 years ago or so. So for your younger viewers, there was a thing called flyers, pieces of paper, and you had them on bulletin boards and, um, way, way before the internet. And during a break in the talk and intuition, I went outside and I was looking at the flyers. And one of them said neuro-linguistic programming. And it, 
literally felt like a lightning bolt hit me on top of the head and went straight down my midline. And the scientist in me was going, what was that? And the mystic in me went, well, it was a sign. So I, I walked back in and I'm kind of stunned. And they had a table of books on intuition. And I, and I just started looking at them. All the books were on intuition except for one book. And that one book was on NLP, neurolinguistic programming. So I thought, okay, I can't ignore this. Bought the book and everything in my life changed. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. And because you mentioned um, science and how fond you are to, to real science, do you think that, uh, and I'm going to digress a little bit now, do you <laughs> think that science got a bad connotation in the last two, three years by having people who had no... Uh, attachment to science or no uh, uh, that how can i put it connection to science yeah. talking about science and giving us uh, or ordering us around based on just what they thought is the real science well without getting into the those particulars um i would say that's true for everything whether it's spirituality religion health you know the The world is full of influencers and experts who mean well. Well, some of them mean well, and they just really don't know what they're talking about. And others of them, um, you know, are using it for their own, you know, personal reasons. Um, you know, science is, is is one of those things. It's it's neither good nor bad nor anything else. It's just the accumulation of information and the making theories about what it means and. Over the last few years, I think one thing people haven't appreciated is in science, you make, you're guessing all the time. Mm -hmm. And the idea is over time, you make better and better guesses. Well, when, when something's new, people are, and people are feeling pressured, they're constantly making their best guess. And often their best guess is, guess is, is, is bad. You know? And sometimes it's good, but they're, but they're guesses. That's why we call them theories. Mm -hmm. And I think What scientists forget and the public forget is it their theories. So we still, as much as the evidence over all these years of the theory of relativity is correct and, and things Einstein talked about, we still call it the theory of relativity because it's just a concept, you know, yes. and we keep testing it. Okay. So, so I think it's a mixture of people expecting more from science than is reasonable and that And that people, on the other hand, extrapolating from what they know and assuming it's some ultimate truth when it's just a guess, you know. Yeah, that, that's a good answer. That's, like Thank that's you. my yeah. <laughs> All your work is based on energy because we are energy. We are surrounded by, by okay. energy. Um, so I know you also talk about how we can reprogram our um, chakras. And also, I would like to know if you work with the seven or the 13 chakras uh, approach. Uh, well, actually, I, I, um, I think there's a lot more than 13. And um, so if I can give a kind of a long explanation for it, but I think it matters is uh, there's definitely more than seven chakras. But part of it is how do you define things? So, you know, this is a hand. We could have said this is a hand, you know, because... Mm -hmm. Hands don't exist. This thing doesn't exist in nature by itself unless something really awful has happened. So, you know, we take complex things and then we divide them down into mental models so we can understand them. And the idea of there being seven chakras is one mental model. But, you know, in the Eastern traditions, um, 
they'll say anywhere from seven to 144 chakras. And then some people say there are more. But but even then, it's like, where do you divide them? So how many chakras we have above the head depends on, you know, what's what's one chakra versus another. And the higher the frequencies, the less all that kind of definition doesn't breaks down. <laughs> so like, I remember when I was first learning about the eighth chakra, uh, you know, my teacher's going, well, you can think of it as being here, but it kind of isn't in any particular place, but it's helpful. If you think of it here, that's helpful. So um, one thing that attracted me to NLP is I'd always been interested in psychology, but, you know, back years ago, psychology was incredibly rigid and it was like, everybody is this way. And I would read psychology things and I'd go, well, you know, fascinating work and very intelligent people. But I don't think I don't think they're exactly right. I think they have good ideas, but they think it's some kind of ultimate truth. And, you know, if you go back long enough, all men want to, you know, kill their father and sleep with their mother, you know, all women want their own penis, you know, just all these ideas that um, were, were steps along the way, but everybody thought they were telling the truth, even though that's the opposite of science. Well, NLP was the first thing I studied where people said, this isn't the truth. These are just models of thinking. Where they work, use them. Where they stop working, change them, which was the same, should be the same idea in science. So to me, when we talk about chakras, we're taking something multidimensional, complex. that doesn't fit any of our little models, but we need to have simple ways to think about them. So when I teach, I'll tell people, here's ways to think about it. And as long as you don't think it's the absolute truth, you don't get trapped. As soon as you think it's the absolute truth, your mind will keep showing you it in the way you you think it is. If I can give one more example, there's something called the creative rings above your head. Mm -hmm. I had a teacher named John Norman who was great. And usually he was very precise in his language, but he misspoke one time. And he said the creative rings were concentric, which would mean one inside the other. And I would always see them that way. And I'd work with them with people and get good results. And one day I was talking to him and he goes, they're not concentric, they're stacked. And I went, well, you said they were concentric. And he went, oops. <laughs> and, and so then I saw them as stacked and it didn't change my work. It just changed my mental image. So, so that's the way I look at all these things is that if we don't take ourselves too seriously and we just go, this is a way of thinking about it, then we have limitless possibilities. But for me personally, as soon as I think it's an absolute truth, I you know I put it in a box. So that that's my philosophy. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, what you said resonates with uh, all the other religions because, in my opinion, is not important how we get to uh, connecting to divinity source God. It yes. is that yeah. we get there. So my way is not better than yours, as long as in my perception I will get there sooner rather than later so i don't I have to bother yeah. on your way you don't have to bother with my way yeah. unless i come across and i start you know um damaging your perspective but other than that we are on parallels parallel uh, ways but mm. we say parallel but at the same time we get to the same point and it's exactly what you you mentioned doesn't matter if i see the concentric circles or the stack circles <laughs> The, the end result will be the same. Oh, I like that. I like and, that very much. Yeah. And also uh, a perspective on the 7 and 13 chakra is maybe 
someone didn't want people to get scared that they have to open up 13 chakras and say, okay, right. let's start with seven. It's easier. And from there, we can add more. Yeah, and, and all these models are valuable. Uh, a good friend of mine, John Friedlander, who's written a number of really good books on spirituality and psychic development, and, and we work together all the time. Like when he works with people, he, he would go, uh, okay, well, the chakras have pedals, and then there's sub-pedals, and there's sub-sub-pedals. And he'd have people working these very intricate ways, and 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 and, and they get great results. And I would do the opposite. You know? and, and, and like you're saying, they both got good results. They were just um, different <laughs> ways to get there. Yes. So going back to how do you use NLP to reprogram the chakras? So again, so energetic NLP is a little different. NLP is a part of energetic NLP. Um, and in, in the beginning, even though the people who started NLP did investigate some psychic work and stuff, mainly they were, they were keeping it more... Um, linear logical uh and people like myself started going well what happens when you add in energy work and stuff so in terms of how you uh, reprogram the chakras the to me the simplest way is you start by deprogramming so you clear out what's not your truth well, well let me back up a step in energetic nlp we have a concept called your miraculous self which is a unique concept to energetic nlp and it's different than your high self. What I noticed years ago was that people's spirits and their deep inner human wisdom weren't necessarily aligned. Mm -hmm. So, and, and again, I want everybody to know, I'm not saying this is an ultimate truth. This is just a way of thinking about it. So when I talk about the spirit, I mean the higher frequencies of your non-physical self. And when I tap into that with people, it's kind of like the perfect parent going, well, whatever you want, dear. You want to have uh, great health? That's a valid spiritual path. You want to suffer through an illness? Well, that's another valid spiritual path. You know, not because your spirit doesn't care, but it gives us freedom to explore. Where your deep inner human wisdom is very practical and kind of going, well, I know they're both valid spiritual paths, but can we have more of the health and less of the other one? So your miraculous self is when you deliberately connect your spirit with that vast perspective, with your deep inner human wisdom, so that everything is being guided by your higher spiritual purposes, but also as much as possible in ways that make your life, you know, happy and meaningful and, um, and enjoyable, with, without being uh, afraid of, the, of having challenges in life. Because I think there's some new age stuff out there where people think, well, if I just think right, nothing bad will ever happen. And I always go, well, good luck with that one. Um, you know, because even if nothing ever happens to you, if you have any other people in your life, things happen. Um, but I think a lot of the struggles we have in life don't need to be there. And when they are there, we can always feel guided and supported by our miraculous selves. And very often we can have many, many more wonderful experiences than, than our old programming would allow us. So where all of this is leading to answer your question. Um, so in energetic NLP, you first create your miraculous self, and then you put your miraculous self in charge. And then uh, either uh, people learn to do it for themselves, but in the beginning, uh, my job is to bring in a whole symphony of energies. Their miraculous self will decide which energies they want to use and what to do with them. 
what old beliefs and programming to dissolve, and then what to replace them with. So the reprogramming, uh, what I encourage people is not to deliberately reprogram yourself, but to give your miraculous help permission to reprogram your chakras. Because that way you, you, you get out of the limitations of what you think you know, should be there. So is the miraculous self, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that is different than distinct from the, the higher self. Yeah. But is the miraculous self connected to our subconscious mind? Yes, yes, because, um, and, and, and I'll tell people in the programs, if you think really hard about all these things, it get a little more confusing. So, so to me, like our spirit knows what it is. And when I talk about your deep inner human wisdom, that could mean a whole lot of different things. <laughs> and to me, it is a, a, a beyond our consciousness wisdom that's, that's available to us and within us. That's very, but it's still very practical, very in touch with our minute by minute human lives. So to me, that that is out of our conscious awareness for, for the most part. Um, but I don't try to nail it down too much because everybody, everybody's uh, spirit will kind of figure out their own way to do it for that phase in their life. Did, did that make sense? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and you mentioned intuition, and also in the last um, several years, like three, four years, a lot of us uh, kind of lost confidence in ourselves. Uh, there are mental health issues. Could mm. NLP address something like this as a non-invasive uh, procedure and approach? Uh, absolutely. So in, 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 in NLP itself, um, there's ways to do it that either are very directive or that are quite the opposite. In energetic NLP, uh, again, you, we put the miraculous self in charge. And in terms of mental health, people that are in the programs, their their emotions change, their attitude towards life changes. Um, uh, so, you know, it's not a linear line, but their lives get better and better and better, and their their mental and emotional health keep improving. So, this is good. And how do you integrate the same techniques into the corporate world? Can they? Can you do that? Yeah, so in my corporate work, um, I, I have to put a disclaimer here. Everything I do is permission-based, but it doesn't have to be conscious. So when I'm working with a corporate group, um, uh, they, you know, they're not hiring me as an energy worker. So you know, I don't feel like it's my uh, right to impose anything on them, but I use everything I can. And and of course, I don't believe it's random who ends up in my programs. But um, but so one thing that you can learn to do. So like, uh, I'll set the energy field. So I'll keep clearing people's and with, with the permission of their spirits, I clear the energies that aren't helping them and bring in energies of collaboration, creative problem solving, and and energies to help them with their own personal stuff. And in my mind, I, I create their miraculous self and I work with it. So often what pe people will go, gee, that was really magical. Or uh, I remember a group once, I was working with a, a, a Swiss company had bought a, a California high, high tech kind of company. And so you know, the stereotypes all fit. The, the California group was kind of all wild and freedom and the Swiss group was all about precision. And so they were, you know, they were really glitching. 
and the Swiss group flew to the U.S. And I, um, and one of the women in the Swiss group in particular, they thought was kind of a tiger woman. She's a great person, but she was tough. And by the end of the day, everybody was bonded and, and, and working out ways to work together and appreciating the differences. And some of it was by using NLP. and But a lot of it was that I set the energy to make it easy. And the thing is, you never want to force energy on people. But I think of it like if you were throwing a, a dinner party, you try to you set up the environment so people can have a nice time. You know, hopefully you don't force them to have a nice time, but you set it up and make it easy. Well, when I work with, with a, a corporate team, whether it's 10 people or a few hundred people, on an inner level, they would all rather get along. Even, I mean, sometimes they come in really hating one another. Um, but but bottom line, if they're going to be stuck with one another, they, they'd rather get along. So I tap into that. And then they give me permission, but again, outside of their awareness. And I help, I clear the energies that are creating conflict that doesn't need to be there. And I bring in energies that make it easier to collaborate. And then it's up to them. They don't have to do it. But because I've set the energetic environment, that, that if I do the other stuff correctly, it, it's very magical. And, and what's fun sometimes is, people will wait during a break or something and somebody will take me aside and they'll go, I know what you're doing. <laughs> um, and it's not that I'm trying to hide it so much as, um, you know, that isn't why they hired me. So I, you know, I feel like they don't know that that's why they hired me. <laughs> so, but again, I never, if, if somebody's spirit tells me to back off, I do, you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> Yes, and uh, I mean, I, I really appreciate what you are doing, and I would really like to see more corporations being open-minded to uh, hire these type of um, services for uh, clearing energies and creating a much better work environment. We we need that because maybe at the personal level, either we don't know someone who can do that for us, maybe we don't have the, the finances to, to do it, right. Um, but at the corporate level, if the company provides us such services, everyone will benefit along with the company. So I think more and more um, corporations should integrate um, these services into their human resources and benefits package. Well, that's why I like doing it is I'll have people who would never go to a coach or therapy or anything in you know, and they'll tell me how their lives are different and they're different with their families and their friends and, you know, everything in their life gets better. And, um, uh, and, and just for people listening, the reason I'm not more overt about it, and I may someday be overt about it, is any publicly traded company, um, the, the press will crucify them if they, if they had an energy work. So a lot of, there's quite a few executives who work with spiritual energy people, um, but they don't advertise it um, because uh, like I was giving a talk in London once and there was a reporter from the, the Times of London, you know, the big prestigious newspaper. And at the end of my uh, workshop, she goes, you know, I really love this. I'd love to write about it, but they won't print it unless I rip you up. So I'm not going to write about it because wow. I'd love it. But um, and, and you can imagine in the corporate arena that what the press would say um you know, new agey energy workers, you know, you know, you know, so 
Um, in the future, I may see what happens when I'm just overt about it. But right now, I feel a little bit like Robin Hood. It's like I get to I'm not stealing from anybody, but I'm getting the the wealthy corporation to do something that helps them, but helps the people who work there e even more. You know. Yeah, and your example tells us a lot about uh, free speech, and you know, uh, the idea that we should be able to express what we think yeah. and what we do. But that's different, a different matter. And to be honest with you, I know priests who go and work with energy healers, mm -hmm. but they won't recommend it to those yeah. coming to the mm -hmm. church because it's against, you know, the church principles and policies and I, things like this. So, again, it, it's very, it's a very gray area for a lot of people. Um, they don't want to come out clear, clean about this uh, type of um, uh, right. services they are, they are doing, that's for sure. Well, yeah. and, I, and I want to make it clear, I'm not putting all the blame on the press. I mean, there's plenty of blame you can put on them, but it's a bit of a chicken in the egg, you know, that, you know, that the public isn't open to things. And partially that's because of what they've heard. But, you know, the real change has to come happen more in the public. When, and you you have people um, like an Oprah, you know, people that are more and more like making it okay to talk about these things. But there's still a long way to go. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, Art, in your bio, I read about the term spiritual cage. Can you please expand a little bit on that? Yes. And so when I talk about spiritual cages, I, I want to be clear. I, I'm not, they're not something bad or wrong. They're the human condition, you know, um, you know, in the same way that, you know, in Buddhism, they talk about, you know, suffering is just part of, of life. In, in my opinion, everything we believe creates a cage. And so the cages are created by our karma, by spiritual contracts, by some other kinds of things, by unconscious programming, energetic programming, ancestral programming, um, uh, societal programming, childhood experiences. So my using the word cages is just kind of a dramatic way to go. We, we're living inside all these boxes that are created sometimes by things like karma, but, but other times they're by our conscious and unconscious beliefs and by our energetic programming, which most people you know, aren't even remotely aware of. So all of the, in energetic NLP, we're always trying to like dissolve and enlarge the cages. And I don't know that it's, I mean, ultimately you can get outside of the cages, but it, but if nothing else, if you just keep enlarging this, the, the cage that you're in, your life, your experience gets more and more miraculous. Interesting. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And, and do you have, or do you remember, a transformation, transformational experience, something which really hit you hard by using NLP, since you are using NLP. A transformation experience of, of my own? Yes. Oh, I, I mean, I mean, I'm constantly working on myself. But um, so a lot of what NLP and energetic NLP is about is looking at the the mental cages we create for ourselves by our beliefs for people in general and and for me specifically our beliefs about uh what makes uh, uh about our self-concept our self-esteem are some of the biggest it's like what are our beliefs what makes you a good person or not or what makes you lovable or worthy so 
a lot of people have very perfectionistic beliefs. And I mean, that's extremely common that, you know, that we have to do things right or be right in order to be lovable and worthy. And and a lot of people have beliefs even that have a right to exist. I don't think I had that one, but um, but I had very uh, strong beliefs about I had to do things right. In fact, that was why I say stuck in my career so long was I had in my mind, whatever I did next was going to prove who I was, which when I look at it now is, is, is a complete, it's, it's a completely stupid idea, a common one, but stupid. And so I was afraid to try anything else because what if I was wrong, you know, and, and, and what would that mean about me rather than the more entrepreneurial belief? Like, well, you try something, if it doesn't work, you try something else. I mean, people that are younger, you know, are, are much more exposed to that whole entrepreneurial idea. But, you know, when I was young, it was, you found a career and that's what you did for the rest of your life. Or, yes. You know, and so if you found the wrong career, you had all these middle-aged people going, I hate what I do. You know? <laughs> this is sometimes when you look for a business partner, he will ask you, how many times did you fail in other businesses? And if you say never, they might yeah. think twice and go and find another partner. Because if you failed once or twice, they know that you have the experience to, to pick up and go again and learn from those experiences. So I heard uh, these many times. Well, uh, one of my favorite examples is people, you know, Steve Jobs, this incredible businessman. I mean, he had so many failures. I mean, they threw him out of Apple. You know? And my favorite was, um, I, I my father was one of the early computer guys, and I was using computers very early on. And I was desperate to have a really good laptop computer. And Apple finally came out with their laptop computer. And at the time, this is many years ago, I was very muscular. I worked out with weights. So I liked working out with weights. They came out with a laptop computer that was like 20 pounds, something like that. And um, I remember talking to people and I go, I travel all the time. I really need a laptop computer. I lift weights for a hobby. I'm not carrying a 20 pound computer on a trip. And I go, who, who would possibly buy this? And of course the answer was nobody. So, um, but the thing about Stephen Jobs is he kept like, okay, that didn't work next. Amazon has had tons of things that didn't work. Um, so uh, I think for everybody that when you give yourself the freedom to fail, and that was one of the things that NLP did for me was to go like, okay, if I do something, it doesn't work. It isn't a failure. It's like, it's more like that didn't work. Go on to the next thing. Yes, you know, yeah. let life be that kind of adventure and exploration. Yes. Art, you had the chance of uh, meeting Dalai Lama. How was that mm -hmm. encounter? And in what type of setting did you meet him? Well, I have to be clear with people. Um, often when I say I had two empowerments from the Dalai Lama, they think he was like in my living room and I was giving him tea. So there, there were a couple thousand of us each time, or at least hundreds of us. And um, uh, both experiences were phenomenal. That The first time was, um, oh gosh, many, many years ago. And I think it was the 80s, but um, 80s, early 90s. And uh, I, I was doing energy work, but I not at the level I'm doing it now. And the Dalai Lama usually just gives a talk. And... Like one of the times I heard him speak, he he looked around the audience and he goes, 
you think I'm here, you're here because you think I have something special to say. And he paused and he goes, I don't have anything special to say. And then he proved it. You know, I mean, he's he's a wise, sweet old Buddhist guy. Um, uh, but when he's doing these empowerments, as the Dalai Lama, he can call upon these thought form energies that have been developed over hundreds of years. And like the first empowerment, I'm looking at him, and it was, um, and this was a couple thousand people, and there were these huge arcs of energy coming off them. And I'm like, you know, and the whole crowd, I mean, you could, it, it was enormously transformative. Um, the second time uh, was maybe even more powerful. Um, but in these empowerments, it's it's like he's opening a door for you. And then you have to, uh, if you want to develop it, you've got to work with it. But the, in the empowerment, and, and I do empowerments with my folks now, is you're opening up possibilities for them. And both times were extraordinary and life-changing. And uh, uh, the, the second one was the one, the Medicine Buddha one. And, you know, about healing, being include increasing my ability to heal myself, but also other, but even more other people. And that, that's been quite incredible. Yeah. And I don't know we, if you heard... These were like crowds of people. It wasn't like... Yeah, I understand. I understand. We, we didn't have a beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or, or a tea. Um, but, you know, there are rumors that he might be the last Dalai Lama this, and the same for the Pope. Um, yeah. Do you have any feeling that this might be a potential outcome of his existence? Um, you know, I haven't looked at it in depth, but I think that's highly possible. Uh, you know, I, I, we're moving to a whole different kind of a time. Um, and I think it would be great if that position evolved along with everything else. Um, and, and I think he's definitely changing things, but where it's going, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't know more than anybody else, but, um, so, I, but, um, I mean, when you think about the, the Dalai Lama was kind of a king, and the Pope is a king, you know, he even has his own little country, you know. So I think we're moving away from that whole mentality of, of a single person somehow being in charge of things. Yes, and without, yeah, no, no, have, huh? and without judging, just making a statement, I think the Dalai, Dalai Lama of the 80s and 90s, when you met yeah. him, uh, is not the same person um, no. as of now, like the 2020s and 2023. It's a totally different um, person. And in my humble opinion, uh, somehow his reputation has been tainted by certain events. And I'm leaving it there. Okay. Uh, but energetically, I hope that he will still be able to, to empower thousands of people before his transition. Yeah, and you know, and I know what you're talking about, and I think for all of these people, and um, when you're somebody who's put in that kind of exalted position, and you're working with a lot of energy, you know, it, it's like I'll tell my students when, when I'm really running energy and stuff, you know, it, it's different than hanging out with Art Geyser, you know, <laughs> and um, um, for any of us that do energy work, and, and I and I think that's. I used to go to a healing center in South America a lot where there were amazing energies, amazing healings. 
and the healer got in a lot of trouble and did inappropriate things. And, you know, that's, you know, that's the oldest story in the world. And um, when people are revered and, and when they have all that energy and power, often other you know, people put them in some kind of exalted position. And one of the things that I've liked about the Dalai Lama is he's always been clear that on a certain level, he's just a man, you know, <laughs> yes. you know, you know there, there's him as the Dalai Lama and there's him as a flawed human being like the rest of us. You know? Yes, with some faults from time to time. Yes, we all make mistakes and we, we have to be understanding. Well, and I think we also <laughs> have to, for everybody to realize that to not put people in that kind of idealized position uh, which isn't good for them or for us. And, and to be able, one of my primary mentors in NLP, uh, an amazing, amazing woman named uh, Leslie Cameron Bandler, who helped develop NLP. And people aren't as familiar with it now because she retired back in the 80s. Uh, and, I, and I was very, very lucky to have her as a mentor. But one time she was just talking to me one-on-one and she told me something and then she laughed. And I'll make up names. She she went, well, if I, if I said that to Susan and John, they would just immediately change, but I'm not that kind of external reference for you. And, and I went, nobody is that kind of external reference for me, and which she liked, by the way. Um, um, so I think it's important for all of us to appreciate what people have to offer, but don't create this idealized superior version. You know, I guess another way to say it is never give up your own seniority to somebody else. Yes. I don't care how good they are. <laughs> yeah, well, well, well put it. Thank you. All right. One of your area of uh, mastery is uh, remote energy work. Can mm -hmm. we reinforce the idea that this concept is not a Buddha concept, as you usually say? <laughs> and again, it is not, it's not tangible, but it's an efficient way of healing. Yeah, and I like to start by saying people have prayed for other people you know, thousands and thousands of years, and, and nobody thought that was weird, you know. Um, and but if we take a more modern perspective, and you know, everybody uses quantum physics and stuff now. And I want to be clear, I know this much about quantum physics, and um, but there is a, a, an idea in physics that some energies are non-local, non-local, and that means they're not in one place. They're you know they're in vast areas, and. You know, it, it, there's even theories now that the whole universe is interconnected in ways we never imagined before. Um, however, it works. All I, all I, you know, people have known for thousands of years, and you know, and and I know it. You know it that you, know, you can get energy to work remotely. So it doesn't. My clients, almost all my clients are in other countries. Well, other parts of the U.S. or other countries, from when I am. And it just works. It even works on the recordings. And you know, my my the way I think of it is energies can exist outside of um, our conception of time and space. So they're non-local and non-temporal. Um, now, what does that really mean? I don't know. But, <laughs> but but all I know on a practical level, it works. You know what we're doing now would have been considered magic a hundred years ago. You know that like you know, we can talk magically through these boxes um, to one another. And the fact that we don't understand why remote energy work doesn't make it unscientific. So cosmic rays were always scientific. You know, uh, um, fire was scientific 
when people thought it was just something from the gods, right? Or lightning. So, or rainbows, as far as that goes. So the fact that we don't, we can't exactly explain it with science doesn't make it unscientific. It just means we're not there yet. Um, but, and I'll tell people in my work, I don't, it's, I'm not doing face healing. So I'll tell people when I work with them, just while we're working, pretend it's working. Because when you pretend that it's working, you get out of resistance and you're, you open up your abilities for your spirit and your unconscious mind. And then I go later, analyze it to your heart's content. But when it goes, it's going on, if you just pretend it's working, and then later you'll know whether anything happened or not. But I've been doing this for many, many years and been doing remote work all this time. And um, uh, so I know it works. I don't know how it works. I, I know how I think of it. But the main thing for people is, again, if you go back to the idea of prayer, nobody thought it was strange that you could pray for somebody distant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so you might think it's going through a god or saint or whatever. Um, and maybe that's how the remote energies work. You know, I don't know how it works. It just works. <laughs> yeah, that, that's important. And I hear it over and over again uh, from um, energy healers like like you and Ann Pat yeah. saying, confirming, in fact, yeah, we don't know how it works. We don't want to know or we don't care as long as it works. We believe with faith that it works every single time and we're going to keep doing it. We, we don't question it. And that's the most important part of the process, I think. If I can tell one story from years and years ago, I actually have a, a video of it. This woman in England um, was talking to a, a woman who used to sponsor my workshops in England. And her son was having some problems in school. And my friend asked her, she goes, well, would it be okay if my friend Art worked on your son? And she went, yeah, sure. You know, like, why not? You know, and then she forgot about it. And she never mentioned it to her son. And then my friend was talking to her sometime later. And the, everything had changed about how the boy was in school. And my friend goes, when did it change? And she told her, and she goes, well, this is when Art started working with them. You know, and it and, you know, and since then, I have lots of stories, but but I like that one because I've got even a video of her talking about it. Um, so, you know, when that happens enough times, you just go, well, it works because it can't be a placebo effect if he didn't know about it and she forgot about it. And, like she just thought, yeah, OK, fine. He wants to work on him. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you got the acceptance and uh, the confirmation. And yes, you're good to go. And then, and I, I've done a lot of that since, but, and I always, again, everything I do is permission-based. So on a being level, I talked with her son and like, you know, what are you giving me permission for? But of course, you know, that was happening energetically, not um, spiritually, not. When, you know, one of the biggest obstacles for our spiritual development is our um, ego. Do you think, or how we can use NLP to dissolve the ego and um, move forward without this type of uh, gateway? Yeah, I have a slightly different way I think about it. I, I think, I, I mean, there's a lot of spiritual traditions where the whole idea is to get rid of the ego, and, and, and that's fine. For me, I think my our egos are part of us, and it's a, how do you get it to function well? Some of the best things that have happened in the world have happened because of people's egos and some of the worst. So um, to me, it's like resetting the ego more than getting rid of it. I mean, 
Yeah, there's just, you know, if you're going for like complete non-dual awareness and no self, you know, that's fine. Um, in my work, what, what I'm encouraging more is that rather than the more people are bringing in the vast being they are and embodying that more and bringing it into the world and bringing that into their personality rather than transcendence. And, and both are legitimate spiritual paths. I think we're in the time now where a lot of us are, are more about embodiment than transcendence. And to, to do that, you need, I don't know if you need to, but it helps have some ego. It's just, how do you get it so it's um, in, a, in a good balance? And to me, both NLP and energetic NLP have really great techniques for that. So when I was talking about self-concept and self-esteem, you know, you can either energetically or through verbal NLP techniques, start looking at how are we construct, you know, so our, what is this construction we have of, of this identity that isn't, you know, it is, it's a construct. So how do we make that construct make our lives better and let us develop spiritually? So like I mentioned, for me, I, you know, I, I, um, I had all these rules and, you know, and like I had to do something really significant and I had to do this. And um, in fact, I was... I was afraid to learn energy work originally because they, for people that are older, the old idea was that only a few special people who were born with these abilities. And I really wanted to have them. And I was afraid, but what if I find out I'm not one of those people, you know, and, and that would have crushed my ego. Um, so I was afraid to try it. Um, and then of course, once I realized I could do healings and different work, my first reaction was, I am one of those special people. And then the reaction after that was like, oh, everybody is one of those special people. Not everybody's interested in doing it. It's not everybody's path, but it's these are natural human abilities. And like any natural human ability, yeah, some people are better at certain parts of it than other. But um, uh, so tying that back into the whole ego thing, to me, again, it's it's like, deconstructing a lot of what the structures of our ego and constructing one that really works for you. And then if you want to completely deconstruct it at some point, um, I'm not at a point in my life where I don't want to have any ego. <laughs> I want to have an ego that serves the world and serves me. <laughs> yes. Thank you for, for sharing that. <clears throat> yes. Sometimes um, we have to know how to handle our ego. That's for sure. I mean, not too strong, not too weak. Um, yeah. And for that non-dualistic approach you mentioned, um, there are seers and uh, masters out there who are guiding people to to dissolve their egos and, as you said, reconstruct yeah. it in a much uh, fluid way, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of that can start with just by starting to notice like what what do you think is you and what are you judging yourself on? And then um, there's NLP or and or spiritual and energetic techniques that, that can get you to dissolve, because most of this is just old programming. Um, one of my favorite stories on this, and I may get choked up. I, you know, I don't know if there's some stories, this one really gets to me. And, and, and it gets to me not because it's sad, but I think it's so beautiful. Um, I, I, like I said, it always chokes me up. I was working with this man and he was in his fifties and a really good man, but 
but he felt like if he wasn't perfect, he wasn't worthwhile and lovable. And he didn't, and he didn't have a right to exist unless he was perfect. And, um, and he was a really good guy and he didn't deserve to be trapped like that. And where it had come from when he was a, a baby, it's like something from a movie. He, he was in this little small town in rural America and he was sick as a baby. And the doctor goes, if he lives through the night, he'll live. Everybody in town, and this is the part that chokes me up, everybody in town goes to church and prays for him. You know, and, and people do so many nasty, terrible things, but sometimes they're so beautiful. So literally everybody in town goes to church and prays for him, and uh, and he lives. But the belief he developed, because he knew that story, was that um, he owed them his life, and he had to keep earning the right to exist. So um, he had told me this story. We were in a workshop together, and then we ran out of time. And so I thought about, like, um, how to work with him on this. In, in NLP, the, the gold standard of NLP was, can you say one sentence to somebody and it changes their life? And, um, and you know, a lot of times you can't do that. But um, so I was thinking about it, and I did this deliberately. And we had really good rapport, so I knew I could, I could push him. And, and so his whole thing was not, he had to not be wrong. And I went up to him later and I go, you know, you're wrong about what you believe. And so of course he reacts, he goes, what do you mean? And I go, you think because everybody prayed for you that you owe them your life? And he goes, yes. And I go, and you have to prove you have a right to live. And he goes, yes. And I go, they prayed for you because they knew you had a right to live. And he kind of, it went like that, smiled, and a straight guy kissed me on the cheek, and that shifted it, you know. Um, and like I say, I, I know, I I just find the whole idea of the whole town going to pray for him is just so beautiful um, to me. But the point is, you have to, you don't have to, but there's an opportunity to deconstruct those kind of beliefs that um, – that we have to prove that we have a right to exist, that we have to prove that we're lovable and worthy, you know, which is different than going, I want to act in a way that's lovable. I want to act in a way that's worthy. But that's different than believing that intrinsically you're not. And, yes. and that's part of what I, I help people deconstruct in their ego. Because yeah. if you believe you have a right to exist, you actually are nicer to people <laughs> than the other way around. That's a beautiful story. And I believe that if we decided yeah. to, to come here in this existence, yeah. we have the right to, to live and bring our contribution um, either way. It yeah. will have any, any impact, either, as you said, positive or negative, it's an impact. Um, and that has other consequences just mm. because we decided to come. And those people we are interacting with, uh, they're supposed to be there to interact with us and be um, changed by this interaction. So indeed, we have to melt down all these mm. um, uh, customs and uh, pre-impregnating um, um, mm -hmm. thoughts from birth and through the, the childhood that in order for us to, to free our minds and um, act in a different way to, to our full potential. Oh, well, I think that's really beautiful. And um, yeah, I, I like to say there are no extra people on the planet. Everybody who's here is supposed to be here. 
that they're part of this. Whatever we're doing, we're doing this together. And whether it's somebody lying in a gutter or a racist, or they're all part of this, you know, and that, and, um, you know, there's an opportunity to try to help people change uh, if they're willing. But um, yeah, I, I love what you said. Yeah, yeah. And some decide to, to leave earlier than others. Um, some decide to, to come back or come here for the first time. And to lead into my, my next question, do you think we live in a virtual reality, in a game? Who knows? It, it, it depends. <laughs> I mean, it depends what you mean by that. I, I, I'm a very strong believer that there are parallel realities. And I, I've had experiences that, to me, prove that it's real. You know, that... And I think I've even briefly encountered um, other versions of myself. Not, not they weren't totally physical, but they, but I could see them. <laughs> you know, um, uh, and 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 I believe that we could even switch between realities. So does that mean they're virtual? I mean, the way I think about it is, there's all kinds of possible realities, and some of them have almost no energy in them, and some of them have a lot of energy in them, and so like we both have a lot of energy in this reality. And to me, what, what I would call parallel realities are realities that have similar energy levels. So they're, they're more real, if you will, or they're more mm -hmm. dense. Um, uh, and then the ones that I call probable realities, they're more like dreams, you know, that there's not a lot of energy to them. So, um, uh, so you could call you could say these are virtual realities you know yeah interesting yeah but do you think we can conclude the interview with uh, a short version of your techniques please I, I would love to um so let me just so let me just say to anybody who's uh listening or watching this if you're doing that if you're driving and you're listening to this turn this off is whether you believe in remote energy work or not, the energies that I use, there's like a whole symphony of energies. And um, some of them are very high frequency, and they're designed to put you in an altered state, what the uh, what psychologists call the, the dreamy hypnagogic state like, between sleep and wakefulness. And so obviously, you don't want to be dry, driving with anything that would get you anywhere near that. Um, so let me just, okay. So I invite everybody to take a couple easy deep breaths. And wherever you are in the world, imagine there's a giant gold ball of energy in that while we're in this process together, we're all inside of it. And in energetic NLP, your conscious mind sets intention, gives permission, puts your miraculous self in charge, and then uses your imagination. So while this is going on, I invite you to just like like you were five years old and I went, okay, just pretend there's gold energy. You go, okay. You know, you wouldn't believe it or not believe it. It's just like fun. When you do that, you open up the powers of your unconscious mind and your spirit. So, and then later analyze it. But while it's going on, I invite you not to believe it or, or disbelieve it, but just treat it like a fun little game. So imagine we're in this giant gold ball of energy. And it's a space, sorry about that. It's a space of miracles. It's a space where it's easy to dissolve all limiting programs, whether they're 
conscious or energetic or unconscious. It's a space where we can dissolve karma, spiritual contracts. And it's a space where when these things get dissolved and limiting beliefs get dissolved, your miraculous self, which is your spirit and your inner wisdom, will automatically replace them with wisdom, knowledge, concepts, skills, and abilities from your miraculous self. So right now, just give permission for your spirit and your deep inner human wisdom to form your miraculous self. And relax about what that means. Your spirit knows what it means. And just pretend that's happening. Your spirit, your deep inner human wisdom are forming your miraculous self. And that your miraculous self can guide you, nurture you, heal you, support you, and help you manifest. Very good. And set your intention that as a result of what we're doing now, there's going to be a deprogramming and reprogramming of all your chakras so that they're more in alignment with who you really are and what you're about in this lifetime. And again, don't try to figure that out. Just let your miraculous self figure that out. So the purpose, again, is we're going to be working with all the chakras to deprogram them and reprogram them and activate them to help you create a more and more miraculous life. Be aware of the chakras going up above your head, going up probably nine feet, three meters. There's ones in your body. There's ones below your feet. But your miraculous self knows all about these. Put your miraculous self in charge. And then just imagine energies are working with your entire energy system, your chakras, energy channels, and aura. And we're not trying to do everything at once, but whatever's just right for right now in terms of deprogramming, old limiting programming, and replacing them with wisdom, knowledge, concepts, skills, abilities, and attitudes from your miraculous self so that all your chakras are being reprogrammed in a better way. And take some easy deep breaths, let go of effort, analysis, understanding. It's your birthright for your chakras to be programmed by your miraculous self. Take a couple of easy deep breaths. Now imagine energies are coming in to help you process and integrate the benefits of what you just did because you'll be processing, processing this at least for days, if not longer. And that's good. And just be aware that as you're processing it, old emotional energy may come up to be released. Most of that won't even be your energy. So over the next day or so, if emotions start coming up, just be mindful of them. Go, oh, that's interesting. I'm just releasing irritation or anxiety or fear or whatever it is. And don't fight it. Don't feed it. Don't analyze it. Just let it go. Give your miraculous self permission to use the earth to ground only your authentic energy into your body. Ground only your authentic energy into your body. And kind of a fun way to visualize that is you can imagine there's a point of light for every cell in your body a point of light for every cell in your body. So when the earth grounds you, every point of light pops back in the cell it belongs in. 
and let your maraca self use your grounding to gently keep releasing energies that you're ready to release into the earth, energies that aren't yours and aren't helpful, or old emotional energies that don't belong in present time. And gently, Mother Earth, Mother Nature energies can be coming up into you that are nurturing, healing, loving, acknowledging. So what you're releasing is going down, what nurtures you is coming up. And then wiggle your fingers and toes a little bit. Lightly move and stretch. It'll be important to drink water after this. Help your body release the chemicals that were released. And you can even do things like um, putting your hands on your shoulders and then lightly moving them down your arms which actually causes physiological responses that are very relaxing. So how are you doing? <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I know I've done uh, this before because I took uh, your um, courses. Uh, I watched the, the video, so mm. I was a little bit familiar with, uh, with the process, but that's good for, for the viewers to, to try it and, you know, go Great. to your website, sign up, and uh, also go uh, for more in-depth uh, exercises that's for sure thank you uh, art we are thank you very much for this experience uh, we are approaching the end of the the interview any final thoughts uh yeah just that uh, for everybody that um everybody has miraculous abilities if uh, i encourage anybody who's interested in it to pursue it and though for those of you that are already pursuing it um you know keep to me, uh, it's like keep learning and be willing to let go of what you you believe in order to keep evolving. So, um, uh, and and the the last part is that this all can be easy and fun. It, I mean, it doesn't have to be hard work. And some people like the hard work aspect of it, and that's fine. But spiritual and personal growth can be easy. It can be fun, and uh, I just really encourage people to to let it be joyful. Yes. Sometimes I force it too, so I have to stand back and say, oh, oh take it easy. So, yes, that's yeah. wise advice. Once again, thank you very much for, for your time today. Well, you're very welcome, and thank you for the, what you're doing with the show. You have really incredible guests, so thank you mm -hmm. for doing this for the world. Thank you. And uh, for my guests, thank you for watching. Like it, share it. Uh, download a free copy of my um, book when you visit my website. And until next time, love and gratitude.